Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. We've been in a series going to the book of Acts, and my subtitle for the series has been Ordinary People, Extraordinary Power. The whole premise is we need every we need supernatural power for everyday living that God has called us to. And uh, we're not content just to go through the motions. We're not content just to check boxes. We need power from heaven to do all that God has called us to do. And so we've been going through the book of Acts, looking at the first two chapters. And today we're towards the end. I want to start reading in Acts chapter number two, starting in verse number 42. Are you ready for God's word today? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as they had need. Now I'm gonna stop right here and uh, I'm not gonna bother this too long, but I've heard this talked about a lot and so I think it needs to be said. A lot of progressives will use verse number 45 to try to biblically argue for socialism. And that's just a bad read of the text. This text is God's people willingly offering what they've got to serve others, not a government forcibly redistributing what they've got. And it's also not a consistent pattern seen in the New Testament church. It's, it's the exception, not the norm of people doing this. And I actually read this week, it was interesting. Americans are seven times more financially generous than people in Europe. It's because there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think socialism has a way of stripping people of their generosity and not leaving them with as much to give towards. And so they just think, well, the government will do it. I won't do it. And so, so God's way of generosity and the church's way of generosity is very countercultural. But I think that's important because there's a lot of people that use the scripture to try to argue for different things. And that's not at all what it's saying. So that was free today. <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added, I love this, look at this, added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now go back, go back to verse 42, because I was getting ready for this this week. I was going to preach on, you know, all six verses that we just read. And there was so much there that I didn't feel like you know, I'm, I'm not trying to keep you till 4 p.m., you know what I'm saying? So it was like, there's so much here, and I feel like it's so good. And so this section, we're actually going to do a mini-series within the whole series of Acts. I'm going to spend the next five weeks on these things. And so today, I just want to talk about verse number 42. That's why I want to look at it again. Ready? They devoted themselves. Somebody say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. So today I want to talk about devotion. And then the next four weeks are going to be apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Guys, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a whole week talking about eating food. I was thinking about like ordering pizza afterwards or something. Just we got to practice so we preach. <laughs> but y'all are laughing. I'm serious, baby. We bring it, we're doing something. So uh, three weeks, the breaking of bread and then prayer. So this is going to be a mini series on the devotion of the early church. So today I want to answer the question, what does it mean to be devoted? What does it mean to be devoted? Would you pray this out loud together with me? Say, dear God, 
today. Do what no man can do. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Come on, open my eyes. Open my heart that I may receive your word. Believe your word. And obey your word. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. A phrase that is used regarding the biblical text, it's a theological phrase. Uh, We've said it here before. It's the phrase, already but not yet. Already but not yet. It's a phrase used to describe God's promises and God's principles because there's some things that God has said, and if God said it, it's true and it's final. He, he speaks the language of truth, right? So if God has said it, then he said it. But there's some things he has said, so it's as good as done, but it hasn't happened yet, so it's not yet. So it's already, but not yet. Like we see this in the Old Testament where God says to his people that are you know, going through the lands, he says, I've given you the land. But like they had, they weren't there yet. Like they're, they're like, well, we still have to fight a battle. There's still walls. Like, so it was already because God said it, but not yet because they hadn't got it yet. So already not yet. It speaks of the gap between the, the heart of God, the promises of God, the plan of God, and the reality that we live, the already not yet. And I was thinking about this with the early church as we've been speaking of that. And I think the reason there's a gap sometimes between what God has said and where we're at is one, just because we're in a fallen, broken world and we're, we're just, it's just the timing of God and the process of God. We're not there yet. And then I think also sometimes we have a gap, not because it's a fallen, broken world and not because God is waiting, but because we have derailed ourselves <laughs> from his plans and purposes. And so because we've derailed, we haven't experienced what he wants for us to experience. And I found this, um, this is not new to me, I didn't make this up, but I found a different translation of our text today about the early church, right? We read the early church and what they did. I found a different translation that I want to read to you today, and the translation is this. It's called the New Current Situation Version. It says this, the Christians were devoted to themselves. They occasionally got to church when they had nothing else going on. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs or wonders performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together and had almost nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. (laughs) If they sold something, they used the money to buy something bigger and better for themselves. They ate on the run, they kept to themselves, and they were too rushed to enjoy one another or even give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't love each other. They felt very empty and alone, and as a result, most people disliked them, and very few people were ever saved. Because I might say, ouch. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, Acts, like the scripture, and then this, and I was just asking myself, which one is honestly more accurate today? Right? And it's like, I don't think it's far-fetched to say it's the second one. <laughs> you know, it's like we've, and, and I'm not trying to compare 2022 with the time right after Jesus. I realize the cultures are different, the times are different. So I'm, not, I, I'm aware I'm not comparing apples to apples, but I'm also saying the principles and the patterns of living in which they lived, in which we lived, are drastically different. And so I just have to wonder, are we not experiencing the full power and intent that God would have for his people and his church because we have so far gotten off of what his, the early church did? 
And it's, it's, no, it's no accident that the first two chapters of Acts are full of the Spirit being poured out. It's full of God birthing his church. And right away, we see the book of Acts talk about how these people were devoted people. They were devoted people. They had had a powerful experience with God. They had been filled with the Spirit. The Spirit was poured out. It was fire. It was wind. There was thousands saved. Peter proclaimed the gospel to all those that were in Jerusalem. And so they had, they had a moment, a powerful moment where the church was birthed, but they also had devotion because they knew it wasn't just going to be a moment that was going to birth the church and spread the gospel all through the ends of the earth, but they knew it was going to be devotion that got it there. All right, here's the first thing in your notes. Moments spark the fire, but devotion fans the flame. Moments start things. Moments spark things. Moments are needed. Moments are necessary. Moments are vital to the work God wants to do in our life. But it is devotion that carries those things out. It is devotion that fans the flame that has been ignited in a moment. It's one thing to get something started. It's another thing for it to continue. It's another thing for it to sustain. The early church was started with fire, but the fire was continually fueled by devotion. We love moments. We're really good at moments. As we should be, moments are good. Moments are needed. Moments are necessary. But devotion is what makes the difference. All right, ready? All it takes is a nice venue, a good event planner, and a big budget, and you got a good wedding. But it takes devotion to have a good marriage. It takes five minutes and five dollars to get a membership at Crunch Fitness. But it takes devotion to accomplish your fitness goals. Right, like the start and the beginning is vital and important and necessary, but it's devotion that cultivates and sustains the thing that was started in a moment. We experience God in moments. His presence is poured out. We're filled with the Spirit. We're saved in a moment. There, there are moments in prayer and times in worship where you remember and God did something and spoke to you that changed your direction and, and, and encouraged you and fill you with fresh power and calls you to different things. But those things are carried out through devotion. It's one thing to encounter God in a worship service. It's another thing to be a person of devotion when you leave the worship service. We, we all need both moments and devotion. Moments and devotion. Every single person that's here today is here and you're alive because you physically have been sustained in your life up to this point in February, or February, what am I February? That's my birthday month. I was just ready for my birthday as well. September 18th, it's the 18th, right? 2022, right? You're all here because your life has been sustained up to that moment. Now, if we were to just pass the mic around the room and say, hey, over the last 10 years, over the last 10 years, what have been your most favorite meals? 
like the, the most favorite meals. Like, and there's probably a few that quickly come to mind, right? You're like, oh, I was at the beach. Oh, I went to Captain George's and got king crab legs. Come on, somebody. I remember them king crab legs. Or we were at this one steakhouse this one time. We were on vacation in this glass of wine that just with the steak, right? Like there's certain moments and certain meals where if I were to ask you your top few meals of the last decade, a few come to mind. But the reality of your life being sustained here, it has not been sustained by those few top meals. It's been sustained because in between all of those meals, there have been thousands of meals that have nourished you and sustained your life till today. So you need the good meals. Come on, somebody. You need the good meals. Those are good. But the thing that sustains your life is the everyday ones all in between that. So it's the moments and the devotion that we see in the early church. And I love that Acts, before we even leave chapter two, says, hey, hey, this was not just fireworks and explosion and spiritual high right here. There was devotion that helped carry it out. They were devoted people. So what does it mean to be devoted? I've got six things that I wanna give today about what it means to be devoted. Number one is consistency. Devotion speaks of consistency. Acts chapter two, verse 46, we read it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Look, notice that. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is a consistent pattern. This is not a one-off. This is not an exception. This is, not, um, this is the norm Every day, Acts chapter five, verse number 42, day after day, day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Every day, day after day, their devotion had a level of consistency to it. It was not rare. It was not the exception. It was the norm. Your devotion is not revealed in what you do one time. Your devotion is not revealed in what you do sporadically or occasionally. Your devotion is revealed in what you do consistently. You are not devoted to Chick-fil-A because you went back in 07. You're devoted to Chick-fil-A because you're a red card member every single year. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Your devotion is what you do consistently. It's what you do as part of the normal pattern of your life, what was powerful about the early church was not just that they gathered once, it was that they continually gathered. What was powerful was not just that they shared a meal together, it was that they continued to share meals together. What was powerful is not just that they prayed one time, but they continued to pray. There was power in their consistency. Your impact will not come from your one-offs, but from your consistency. My marriage to Anna will not be strong because I took her on a date our first year of marriage. Our marriage will be strong because I continue to date her and pursue her and connect with her consistently. Your power comes from consistency. I was thinking about this. If I went to the gym and I had the goal of getting stronger, I thought about today bringing like a whole set. I thought about bringing a whole bench and a whole, I was gonna, I just wasn't gonna bother. All right. If I go to the gym, I tell the trainer, I want to get stronger. I want to be way stronger than I am. I'm not strong. My, my arms look like spaghetti noodles, and I want to be stronger, okay? 
He would, he would tell me I have to lift weights, right? And maybe the first thing I have to do is some bicep curls. So I go tomorrow, and he, he, t- and he tells me to do five bicep curls. And so here I am. I'm getting stronger. Look at me. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be super strong because I'm listening to him. Is that five? Are y'all counting? Have I done five, Jared? Is that good? Okay. So, so I put them down, and then I start to look at my arms. And I'm getting a little frustrated because they're not any bigger. I'm like looking at the trainer, I'm looking at the gym, looking at these weights and being like, what's wrong with y'all? I lifted the weights. I lifted the weights. I'm here at the gym. This trainer doesn't know what he's talking about. This gym is false advertising. They don't know. I lifted the weights and I'm not stronger. This isn't working. I'm done. I'm, I quit. I'm out of here. You'd be like, bro, bro, that's not how you get stronger. You get stronger by lifting weights tomorrow and then lifting weights the next day. And then the next day, and then the next week, and the next week, and then the next month, and the next month, and then the next year, and the next year. And guess what? Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, if I was, guess what? I'd get stronger. Because the impact and the power doesn't come from a one-off. It doesn't come from the exception. It comes from what I do consistently. Your devotion is found in what you do consistently. Number one, consistency. Number two, are you with me this morning? Persistency. Persistency could also be described by the word tenacity. It's what I can be found doing when I don't want to do it or feel like doing it or have opposition to do it. If I'm in when it's challenging, I'm persistent. If I'm in when I don't feel like it, I'm persistent. If I'm in when there's opposition to me being in, I'm persistent. Acts chapter number seven, we read about a guy named Stephen and he's a lay leader in the church and he's preaching the gospel And here's what happens as a result. Verse number 54 of Acts 7, it says, The members of the Sanhedrin heard this. They were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Spirit, he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay, so look, he's preaching the gospel. He sees heaven open. He's surrounded by people that aren't happy. Here's what happens as he's sharing the gospel with them. Ready? They covered their ears. Yelled at the top of their voices, tough crowd, rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began stoning him. Stoning him is exactly what it sounds like. They, they picked up physical rocks and stones and began to throw them at him so much and, and he was surrounded so much until his body was incapable of escaping and they continued to do that till he died. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This would later become Paul. He was the ringleader of people persecuting Christians. And then look at this. While they were stoning him, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So, so he's proclaiming Christ and then see all the things that happened. They covered their ears. They began yelling at him. They rush him. They drag him. They stone him. Like, at no point 
does Stephen back down or call it quits? Hey, guys, let me tell you about Christ. Boom. Oh, they, they don't, they don't want to listen. Okay, all right, thanks, guys. Oh, no, they're rushing me. Like, no, like, persistent, persistent. Like, I don't care what you do to me. Christ is the Messiah. Like, I don't care what it costs me. I, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Like, persistent. There is a tenacity. There is a grit. There is a determination for him to proclaim the good news of Christ. Why? Because he's devoted. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles were brought before the council and they were told and threatened that they couldn't speak of Christ and continue to share Christ. Here's what they did after they were threatened in verse number 29 of Acts 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. They're just threatened to not speak and their prayer is not, uh, Lord, I prayed the officials would change their mind about that threat they just gave us. Their prayer is, Lord, consider the threat. Give us boldness because we're determined. Because we're persistent. We're, we're going to continue to do what God has called us to do. We're going to continue to be on mission. Why? Because they're devoted to the message of Jesus. Acts chapter 5. There's so many examples. I just want to give you a few. Hopefully you're convinced this morning. Verse number 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Look at this. They're being beaten for the sake of Christ. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Then the apostles left the Sanhedrin and rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Beat them, threatened them, sent them away, and they went away rejoicing. God has counted us worthy to suffer for such a time as this. In other words, they ain't stopping. Why? Because they're persistent. Opposition comes, they're dialing in. When, when they face challenges, they don't pull back, they dial it up because they're devoted. They've got a devotion to the things of God. You're devoted to things that you hold on to even when you're greatly pressured not to. Persistence. Number three, am I helping somebody today? Conviction. If you don't get any of these today, I want you to get this one. Devotion is conviction. A conviction simply defined as this. It is a firmly held belief. It is a belief that you believe in the core of your being. You believe it down in your bones. It is a firmly held belief. You are convinced of it. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So again, they're telling him, hey, stop talking about Christ. Stop sharing the gospel. You keep doing it. We're trying to tell you to stop. Peter and the other apostles replied. Look at this. This is really interesting. We must obey God rather than human beings. So if they weren't preaching the gospel and doing what they were doing out of fun, they weren't doing it even out of duty or obligation. They were doing it out of conviction. I've got a conviction that my life will please God above pleasing people. So when confronted with the decision that they were faced before the officials, Peter said, we must obey God rather than humans. They had a conviction about it. This idea 
of living with conviction, I think is such an underrated gift in the body of Christ. I think this is such a weapon and such a tool for followers of Christ to be people of conviction. Because by the way, culturally, conviction is nowhere to be seen. Culturally speaking, people live with no conviction. The things they believe and the things that they stand on are changed depending on what TikTok videos they watch or depending on what seminar they go to or what TV show they watch. And so we're tossed to and fro just like waves, James says, with doubt. Why? Because there's no conviction. There's no, there's no firmly held belief that can't be shaken by the things around them or the situations they face. I, Christians should be people of conviction. To be a person of conviction, I'm telling you, it's, it's a secret weapon for the life of a Christian to be a person of conviction. Because here's what conviction does. It helps clarify decisions and conversations. This is unbelievably practical. Living a life of conviction will clarify and simplify your decisions and your conversations. When you have conviction, some decisions are already made for you. When you have conviction, some conversations are much easier and don't even need to be had because you have conviction. The apostles didn't need to form a committee, or a committee, a committee. They didn't need to form a committee when told to stop. They just could look at them all in unity at the same time and say, no, we please God more than man. Why? Because they had conviction. It didn't need to be a conversation. It didn't need to be a decision. They had conviction and it gave them clarity as to how to handle the circumstance. I have a conviction that this book is the word of God. That every single letter of every single word is inerrant and inspired by God, breathed by his spirit, written through humans, but inspired by the spirit of God, and that every word of it is from him, it is trustworthy, it is absolute, and as a result of that, I can bank my life on it. I have a conviction that that's true. And so because of that, anything that's counter this or up against that, the answer is just no, I don't have to do that, because I've got a conviction this is true. Conviction clarifies. Uh, if you're single, let me help you out today. If you're single, you ought to have a conviction from the word of God that you should not be with anybody dating or married that is not a Christian. All right, if you're single, it is not God's will for you to marry someone that's not a believer. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians. So, so this helps clarify because the dude will come up to you he looks real sharp. He looks real good. He's even got a J-O-B and pays his taxes. He's got, he looks good. He's got a nice car. Don't be fooled. The car payment is your mortgage. It's, it's sinking him. He looks good, but it's sinking him, right? Like, like he looks good. He's got the car, whatever. And, and he's kind of dreamy. And you begin to talk with him and you realize he doesn't know Christ. Okay, because that's a conviction, the decision's made. You don't need to have the conversation. You don't need to let him take you to coffee and have him try to sway you. You Like, get out of here, boo-boo. The decision's made. I've got a conviction that I'm not to be with someone that doesn't love the Lord. Are you with me? It, it help, I'm trying to help you today. I've got a conviction about tithing with my finances, about bringing the first 10% of my increase 
to the house of God. So me and Anna meet a few times a month, every month, to go through our budget and our finances and prioritize things that we're doing and how can we do this and what do we need to move around here. And because we have a conviction about the tithe, that first 10% doesn't need to be discussed. It just doesn't. It's just straight to the house of God. If there's things that have to be moved or discussed, the 10% is set and we fix it and figure it out in the 90. Why? Because I've got conviction. So it clarifies our conversation. It clarifies our decision-making. I've got a conviction about quality college football, so I don't watch UVA. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. I'm not sorry, actually. (laughs) Conviction helps you clarify decisions, conversations. The apostles were not silenced in Acts because they had conviction. Daniel didn't pray to the king and face the lions. Why? He had a conviction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to an idol in a foreign land and face the fire. Why? They had a conviction. Stephen did not, shop, did not stop sharing Christ while being stoned. Why? He had conviction. Nehemiah did not stop rebuilding the wall around God's city even when his life was in danger. Why? He had a conviction. Joseph did not sleep with Potiphar's wife even when he had the chance to. Why? He was a man of conviction. Noah did not stop building the boat even when others mocked him and had no idea what was going on. Why? Because he had conviction. Jesus did not stop before the cross. Why? Because he had a conviction to do the will of the Father. Without conviction, you've got no devotion got to be a person of conviction, firmly held belief that I'm not shaken by. The early church had conviction. Number four is this, priority. To be devoted is to put what you're devoted to in its proper priority in your life. If something has priority, then that thing does not get pushed aside or scratched out for other things because it's prioritized. And I've even heard pushback on priority, like we shouldn't prioritize people and all these things. Jesus loves everyone, everyone. Jesus served everyone. Like that's not true at all. The idea of priority is very biblical. Here's some examples from the scripture about priority. Uh, You prioritize your spouse over your kids. Any empty nesters in the house can say amen to this. One day your kids will leave. In fact, that is the goal when you have them, to raise them up in the ways of God in in a good way to send them out to be great blessings to the world that they're sent out into. And then you're left with your spouse. So so you prioritize your spouse over your kids. Ephesians 5 speaks about this. The Gospels speak about this. Genesis 1 and 2 speak about this. Uh, You prioritize your family over others. Paul says to Timothy, uh, if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse off than unbelievers. He's telling the pastor of the church this to say, hey, Timothy, your family is priority over the families you're shepherding. And and, and if you serve and give to other families and at the neglect of yours, you're worse off than lost people. So he's, he's providing priority for them in their list of what's important. How about this? In Galatians 6, we see believers over non-believers. Paul says to do good to all people, especially he puts an emphasis on those that belong to the family of God. So if I've got a limited amount of 
energy and time and resource that I'm to give to serve people, my priority, according to Galatians 6, is on God's people first and then on lost people. So this, and, uh, uh, you know, that, that's just three examples. There's so many examples in the scripture of there's, there's things in our life that ought to have priority over other things. And to be devoted to something is to say it's high up on the priority list. And when other things to come and fight for it, it doesn't get slashed or pushed down because I'm devoted to it. What are your priorities? What's high up on the list? What things get put in first and other things get put in around it? Or what things, when other things come knocking, get slashed and pushed down? What are your priorities? Number five, loyalty. Loyalty. To be devoted to something is to have a sense of loyalty to it. I love, even in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment God gives in Exodus 20, verse number two, in the law here, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. His first commandment is a commandment of loyalty. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm it. Loyalty to me. If you know your yes, it clarifies your no. If, if you know your yeses, loyalty to your yeses, it clarifies your no's, right? My loyalty to Anna as my wife clarifies my no to every other woman. Why? Because she's got my loyalty. She has my yes because she has my yes. It doesn't matter who else comes. They have a no. Why? Because she's got my yes. Loyalty. I believe the scriptures. I believe this is God's word. I believe the canon is closed, meaning nobody else can come up with something or have a dream on a hike and add to it. So, so if anybody else or any other faith or religion or sect of a faith or belief that were to come up, I, I don't need to entertain all the other things because this has my yes, so everything else gets a no. Loyalty. Is this, is this helping you today? You tracking with me? Loyalty. The final one, number six, is this. Devotion is visibility. Devotion is visibility. When something has your devotion, people see it. People know it. In fact, I'd say if somebody in your life and close to your life and around your life doesn't see it, I would question if it has your devotion. What we're devoted to has just a way of spilling out of us. In the decisions we make, in the words we say, the attitude we have, the way we carry ourselves, devotion has a way of becoming visible in our life. We, we, we see this all over. I've got a few examples. Acts 3, verse number 9. There was a man, he was lame outside of the temple gate and said all the people saw him walking around praising God and they recognized him as the same man who used to sit banging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man had been healed and he's, being, he, like, he's becoming very visible in this scene, not just because he's walking around, but the scriptures describe him dancing, praising, singing to God, running around. Like he is, his, his joy and his delight in what God has just done for him is extremely visible. It, it could not be hidden, his devotion to the God who just changed his whole life. 
Acts chapter eight, there's a guy named Philip, verse number five, he goes to Samaria, proclaims the Messiah there. Crowds heard Philip, saw the signs he performed, and they all paid close attention to what he said. Anybody that was in proximity to Philip realized and saw this guy is devoted to the Messiah. Like they just saw it, they just heard it. They, they couldn't be around Philip and not realize he's devoted to this guy. He's about this message. Acts chapter nine, verse 21, this is about Saul, who then became Paul. It says, all those who heard him, that's talking about Paul, were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners and chief priests? Like they saw both sides of devotion for him because they saw him before, before he was devoted to Christ, he was devoted to persecution and they saw his devotion. Isn't this the guy, he wreaked havoc, he came here to take prisoners, he came here to take life. Like they saw his devotion to evil things and now that God had saved them, they now see his devotion to godly things. They begin to hear his message and say, wow, isn't this the same guy that just said those things? He was devoted to that, but now he's devoted to that. But either way, his devotion bled out and spilled out of his life. The, it's visible. It's visible. Things you're devoted to have a way of just coming out and shining around you. Devoted. The early church was devoted. And the truth about this message really today is I could take this message about devotion and preach this at a leadership seminar or any corporate thing, and it would be yes and amen. Devotion to your career, devotion to your relationships, devotion to the next step of your, like you should be consistent and persistent and loyal and dedicated. Like all this stuff would preach good anywhere. Why? Because we're all devoted to all kinds of things. I could preach this at corporate tomorrow about devotion to your career. And it will get yes and amen. So, so the question is not even just about devotion. The question is, what is the target of your devotion? Because all this could be true when you could be devoted to earthly things. All this could be true when you could be devoted to temporary things. And so the cry of our heart and the cry of the early church was not just to be a people that were devoted, but to be devoted to the right things, to be devoted to godly things, to eternal things, to things that outlast us. And here's, here's the thing about that. That is supernatural. It's not supernatural for you to be devoted to a hobby. I, I, I got hobbies I'm devoted to, okay? I love golf. I love sports. I love like devotion. That's fine. It's not, it's not supernatural for you to be devoted to a sports team or for you to be devoted to a friendship or for you to be devoted to a dream. That's, all, that's really good and that's all fine. But for you to be devoted towards heavenly things, that takes God. That takes supernatural Holy Spirit work in your heart and your mind to turn the arrow of your devotion heavenward. So my prayer for us today is that as we receive the word of God, as we pray, as we worship, that we're, we're saying, God, I... On my own, I can't be devoted to you. Like I can white knuckle this thing all I want, but that's short lived and temporary. God, I need your spirit to burn a fire in me to be devoted to you. Be devoted to you. So today I wanna pray those things for us. I wanna pray that God would help our devotion to be pointed heavenward, upward, eternal things, things that last, things of the kingdom, because we can't do that on our own. Would you stand with me all over the room this morning? I'd like to pray for us, and then we're gonna sing 
a song of worship here. We've been doing this here recently in this season. We're trying to provide time of worship and reflection after the message for you to really sit in God's presence and say, God, what are you saying to me? God, Holy Spirit, is there something you're convicting me of? I need to confess and repent. Lord, is there, is there a call to action you're calling me to do? And I just need to give you my yes right here and say, yes, Lord, I'm all yours. But we're providing time for you to get with God and say, Lord, have your way. Lord, what are you saying to me? And so we're gonna do that through worship. If you wanna do that at your seat in worship, if you wanna come up to the front, the altar's open. We're also gonna begin doing this somewhat often here. We've got the communion, um, got the bread and the juice here at the front on both sides. And this is not gonna be something I'm gonna lead our whole church through and we're gonna pass, but it's gonna stay open. And we're gonna say, hey, in this time of, of prayer and worship and reflection, um, go take communion. Go, go remind yourself of what Christ has done. If you're, if you're a man in here, I, I would encourage you, if it's not today or some week and you're here with your spouse, lead your wife, lead your family in taking communion. Go up and take, take together, reflect on what God has done and just take these moments in worship to say, God, I'm all yours. God, I'm all yours. I'm surrendering fresh to you today. And so we're gonna have the communion elements available for the next few moments. We're gonna worship for the next few moments. And then we'll close out after that. But I'd encourage you to take this time to press into the presence of God and see what he would have for you. Amen. Father, we love you today. Lord, we realize that on our own, Lord, we, we, Lord, we can do nothing that matters for eternity. But God, we need your spirit to fill us fresh, Lord, like we've read about in Acts, Lord. We need you to come and to meet us in a real way. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church and a people that are devoted towards heavenly things. Lord, I pray that you would aim our devotion today towards you. Lord, I pray if there's any of my heart, if there's any of our hearts that are being pulled away from you or focused on other things. Lord, would you realign us today with your heart? Would you realign us with your kingdom today? God, may you speak to your people as we respond and reflect and worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.